You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. Are you ready? I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to our last and final show of Social Justice, a conversation, because yours truly is hopefully graduating from law school on Friday. So, you know, we hate opening these shows with another shooting. I feel like we've probably done it. Maybe half of every show we've done has opened up with some sort of conversation about some horrendous mass shooting that happened in this country and the show is going to be no different um because there was another horrendous mass shooting in this country this time in texas who's a repeat offender um and this one was a little bit different um in that i had not seen so many graphic images so many graphic videos so many um i mean really jarring visually jarring images and videos came out of this this situation and you know part of part of you thinks that that's necessary and you have to see it and part of you says honor and respect these people Mm. that died you know innocently Mm. um so i'm gonna have the professor sort of go over some of these details and have him cover it and then we'll we'll have a chat about what happened in texas sure thank you thank you lana yeah, uh, well, we had a gentleman who uh, had issues, let's put it that way, uh, having to do with white supremacy and everything. And he uh, decided to go to the mall and uh, live out those hatreds uh, at the expense of a lot of innocent people. Uh, and it was, of course, the great fortune of the people in that mall that there was one police officer who was there on a completely unrelated purpose who was able to stop him. Uh, And of course, you know, Lana, Lana of course, told you that uh, they had put uh, out on the uh, internet a lot of really horrific uh, images of what happened to the the victims. Uh, I'm I'm of of, uh, a very divided mind about that. I there was a very interesting article, of course, a couple of weeks ago, about Newtown, mm-hmm. having to do with uh, the uh, the men and women who had to respond there, and what their uh, uh, experience was to see to see this, uh, uh, and of course, you know, there's the issue of the of privacy and the all the things that the family has to deal with already, but I think we're at the point where. We need something to jar us at this point because this cannot continue. And the fact that, you know, there are excuses made almost every single time one of these shootings occurs is is unacceptable. I found something very fascinating that that I did not know. And and I I, probably the vast majority of our listeners don't know. Uh, When they had the shooting of the man who was... Um, using his gun for target practice or whatever he was doing in his backyard, and he killed all those people. Uh, I think we mentioned on the broadcast that uh, basically they had three uh, police officers for a 700-square-mile area. Um, On last Saturday's shooting, the bulk of the police force did not arrive until a half hour Mm -hmm. after they were notified. One of the women who was at the... 
uh, shooting in, at, that last Saturday echoed what the woman said in the in the earlier shooting. And that basically was, when they asked her, did she carry a gun? She said, yes, I carry a gun, and my husband carries a gun because there's no police. So in the, in the one sense, I could see, well, in this sort of a remote area, right. there might not be many police. But this was a heavily populated area. Well, and Allen, Texas is sort of outside of Dallas. I mean, it's not super remote, not remote enough where no. they shouldn't have had a, immediate, a relatively immediate response time. Right. Um, so I think you're right that police presence obviously could have stopped some of the bloodshed in a lot of these mm. cases. And in Texas, especially look at Ovalde, which was right. sort of the same situation. Yeah. But I think what I want to talk about here is going back to the idea um, of people are anonymous a lot of the times mm. and it's hard to see the humanity in you, yeah. other people anymore and look someone in the eye and understand that they're a human being and that yeah. human being has int- you know intrinsic value. Um, to see the videos we saw mm. come out of the shooting yeah. and to see the images we see, yeah. I think it's terrible and it's horrible and it does it, it is a level of dishonoring that's doing to you mm. know these bodies and these yeah. however, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that the benefit out, out, outweighs the bad here in that people cannot say that these people are anonymous. There's a face line mm. there. That's yeah. someone's handbag, someone's baby, yeah. someone's cell phone, someone's hair, someone, this is a person. There's mm. a real person with real things yeah. and they're lying there and they're dead, right? And yeah. I think it, to see such horrible graphic things will make, if anybody, if one person says, I don't want to walk in a mall that looks like that. I don't want that mm. to be my local mall. And and that can shift the tide even one mm. way. I think that video did, did some good, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think... And maybe it's time that we film the, the carnage of these st- and people really know what it is. And we can't pretend that these are all faceless, anonymous like we do on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. There's real people behind this and there's real lives affected and then the ripple effects. And, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not convinced that this was the correct thing to do is have this so publicly broadcasted. But like mm-hmm. I say, if this e- even changes one person's mind about the horrors of gun violence and what it really looks like on the ground, then I think maybe this is some good. Well, they have... Uh, it's accessible on the internet. I th- it was either the, the Washington Post or the Times. They have an anatomical display of what the gun does, what the assault weapon does, yep. what it does to the organs of the body. Right. And I've, 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 I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There is no legitimate reason why any person outside of law enforcement or police FBI, Justice Department, what have you, our army should have this gun yep. because it serves no other purpose except to kill a lot of people very in a fast. very short yep. time and cause grievous, grievous wounds and suffering to people. And how an 18-year-old in the state of Texas is able to get a hold of such a gun when you can't get a handgun until you're 21, there is something very seriously wrong there. Yep. They have, they, in the Texas legislature now, they have, in one of the chambers, they have passed a a bill to raise the age to 21. But the chances of the bill being approved are almost none because in the Texas Senate, uh, there, there are uh, uh, a lot, there's a lot of opposition to it. But it is, as I think you, you said, I mean, I think we, we need, we need some kind of shock treatment. Yep. We need something that's going to that's going to 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 affect us move us frighten us scare us whatever you want to say that we say enough is enough correct you know well we can jump from that 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 story to you know um, seemingly everyday 
um, the rise in prejudice against transgender and LGBT people. And um, we had gotten into this a little bit in the last broadcast, but it was very, very interesting. You know, there's two kinds of political opposition that you face in this country. Mm -hmm. There's the one form of opposition where the people honestly and truly believe these things. And, you know, we, we, we disagree with them on many things, but th that's their belief and, you know, that's the way it is. They don't do it out of malice. That's just what they believe. But then you have people who are in positions of authority, particularly in the legislatures of, of Texas and Tennessee and Montana and places like this, who really, in my estimation, don't believe in anything. They're basically controlled by a group of people who are either lobbyists for the gun lobby or people who are campaign contributors and donors for a radical conservative agenda. Uh, and I think it, it, was, it was best said by the, by, the, uh, by the gentleman who was the son of the Montana governor when he met with his father and he talks with the father and, you know, he's, he's non-binary, the son. So right away you'd think that if that's your son and he's non-binary, you'd have some special sensitivity to the issue. And he meets with his father and he talks with his father. And then, you know, nothing happened, of course. And he was interviewed and they asked the son, well, you know, you talk to your father. He says, well, he says, you know, my father's a politician. My father's main priority is to get reelected. He sees what his stature is in this state. He sees the consequences probably if he does something that's going to displease these people. So, you know, he goes with it, even though he probably knows that it's wrong. And that's what we have a lot of in this country. We have a lot of people who are unprincipled. They don't, and that's why you have such a difficult uh, um, uh, path to having a conversation with them. Because you could sit down with a person who was anti-abortion. You could sit down with a person probably who was anti-LGBT. But you could have a reasonable dialogue with them as to what their reasons might be. And we would disagree and maybe we would never convince them. But these people, they believe in nothing. You know, I, I've had this conversation in some of the classes that I teach. And, uh, you know, it, it may sound to some of my students as being cynical or harsh, but it, it's not really. It's my life experience in, in talking to some of these people, being in politics. And you just, they, they really don't care. They don't care about transgender people. They don't care about the people who were shot. They don't care about women who might die because they couldn't get proper medical care. They really don't care. A lot of conservatism is no longer conservatism. It is grifting. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll you'll see that term, the like conservative grifter, sort mm -hmm. of tossed around a lot. But it's reality. I mean, it's very, very true. You don't believe that these people genuinely believe a lot of the BS yeah. they espouse. In yeah. fact, for a lot of them, you can find direct statements they've made to the contrary prior to them being platformed in some way by the Republican Party mm -hmm. or Republican adjacent believers. Mm -hmm. So, yes, what it is is it's it's money. It's about money. Yeah. It's there is a huge population of the American populace who wants to buy into something because, like you said, Professor, they believe in nothing and they believe they're seeing people that look like me or people of color or people that are gay all of a sudden are rising the ranks. And we've talked about it a million times mm. on this show, but they see all of a sudden the positions that were once only for a certain breed of white person mm. are now for everybody and they feel uncomfortable and they do not know how to vocalize how uncomfortable that makes them other than with hatred and mm. that hatred sells. And mm. so what do you have? You have figureheads for this hatred. And it, it obviously, I mean, look at what happened with, you know, Dylan Mulaney where they all decide that yeah. that's their thing and, yeah. and that's boycott Bud Light. Well, it's, this is very much on a larger yeah. scale what's happening 
happening with transgender folks. They've picked that. That's their thing. That's the thing that people will spend a lot of money to keep out of their schools or keep out of their homes or keep. It's a grift. Yeah. It's not anything more than the next grift. It, next 10 years, it probably won't be trans people. It'll be something else. Mm. It'll be, you know, they'll pick another marginalized group, another, mar- you know, mm. uh, Jewish people got it for a while for mm. six months here. Mm. Now it's the trans people's turn yeah. again. I mean, it's good. They're going to mm. pick a minority group, another minority, another. They're going to always have some sort of grift to keep people that don't otherwise know how to vocalize what's wrong on an institutional level. Mm. They're going to find someone to blame, not the institutions, not the things around them, not the people they vote mm. for, but other minority yeah. groups. Yeah. So, uh, th- you know, obviously, I think you're 100 percent right. But I, I think yeah. all of what we're seeing, especially with the transgender people, is just part of a grift, yeah. a larger grift to get people. And you don't want to call them dumb people because I do believe that Republicans in the South generally are redeemable, but that's who they are. Yeah. Uh, as long as they're willing to spend money, we're going to keep seeing people like this. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's interesting, you know, and I and I allude to I allude to, you know, one of my all time favorite movies that you know is The Verdict, right? Where he at the end of the movie he talks about the, the institutions. Um, well, because we have a deadlock society, uh, the the ultimate institution to decide is the Supreme Court. Okay, so the Supreme Court in some way should reflect the views of the people who it, who it ultimately represents. Now, we see with the abortion uh, pill situation that close to over 70% of the people and in this national poll, which has right. been you know ratified by a number of other polls, believe that women should have access to this to this medication and you know right. in that same vein to medical care and all the rest of these things okay so that would be bad enough that they were basically denying women the right to to you know have the bodily autonomy that they deserve as women but now you have and we've been seeing it almost every day a new thing comes out about the supreme court You've got you've got uh, Justice Gorsuch with the land deals. You have Clarence Thomas. You have uh, uh, the the Chief Justice with his wife's lobbying and all the money she's made. And you reach a certain point where people really don't believe that the court has any credibility at all, and that's dangerous because when people start to believe that. Then people start to think of what are the what are the alternatives. The fact that oh, I'm I'm going to boil it down here, and this is going to sound stupid, but I believe it to be true. Uh, the fact that women's rights hinged on Ruth Bader Ginsburg getting sick at a wedding and croaking mm. is wrong. Yeah. So there is some illegitimacy to that court. I'm sorry, the yeah. death of one woman then getting her replacement yeah. to take away women's rights basically, yeah. fundamentally, is wrong. That yeah. court shouldn't exist. There's a problem with that court if that's the system, yeah. right? And part of it is I'll blame RBG. She should have retired. She shouldn't have allowed yeah. Trump to have the possibility of having a pick yeah. of an employee. Should have retired when Obama was president. I, I hate to blame, you know, one of the founders of, you know, the whatever, but yeah. that sucks. She should have retired. And I think that, but the fact that we have a system in place where one death, one removal could cause such a domino effect to mm. almost ripple the country, mm. right? No, it did ripple the country. Not almost, mm. it did. That's wrong. And so I think there's some credence to the argument that it's an illegitimate court. Yeah. There is some credence to it. How can a court that's that fragile be legitimate? Yeah. Well, and and then, of course, the other aspect of it too is that it appears that 
it wasn't just limited to just conservative justices. No. Now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, God rest her soul, um, she went over to Israel for a month and a half, paid for by, I guess, a friend or whoever he was. And and so, so that's one person. You have Justice Sotomayor, who apparently received a $3 million advance from Random House Penguin for her book, and then she's sitting on cases involving whether a, a, a certain merger should be allowed Love for you. Random House in the publishing industry. I mean, you cannot, you cannot, I mean, I say you cannot. They can. Basic, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, we're both products of a law school. All right. Okay. And I mean, there should be like a certain time when the bell rings for you and you understand through basic ethical precepts or common sense or respect for law, whatever you want to, however you want to put it, that in your role as a judge, you have to absent yourself from those things because it goes to the heart of the whole judicial system. If you're sitting on cases repeatedly, where people who have given you money or or you've bought stock in their company or doing any of the rest of these things are are, are 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 you're collaborating with them, your verdict, even even if the verdict may be an honest and true one based on law, people will look at it and say, Well, this is not this is not really legitimate. Right. And if you keep if you keep pursuing that, you'll get to a point where people will just think the court is a joke. And when they think it's a joke, then there's another alternative that's not a court. Right. Well, and I don't think there's any escaping this. And I think it'll, it'll, honest to God, it'll probably trickle down. But when your highest court in the land, Mm -hmm. when you cannot hold the nine people that were appointed to the highest court in the land responsible, what person can you hold? I mean, if if they can't be held accountable or even, uh, we'll take it a step further, they don't want to be accountable. Mm. They themselves don't have the wherewithal yeah. or the gumption or the personal mm. ethics mm. to say this is wrong, I'm not mm. doing that. Yeah. If those nine people, we put them on the highest court of land and they still can't do the right thing, eh, you know, yeah. what's the whole system? And I think you and I have had many conversations about before that maybe it is just a total upheaval that has to happen. Mm. But look, look at what the nine people that we give the highest court in the land, look at what they do. Well, well I'll tell you what's, what's, what's interesting to me. They're giving them an out, mm-hmm. basically. The, 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 you know, the Senate committee and all these people, they're giving them an out. They gave Robertson out, basically, you know, devise something, devise some kind of formula or, pre, or protocol. He, he just reacted with indignity. Yeah. That how dare, you, how dare you question, you know, what, what, what's been going on? Yeah. Uh, and I, it, 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 the other day now, the uh, uh, um, uh, Wall Street Journal got the Pulitzer Prize for one of these stories regarding how many people in our in our government are compromised. People in the legislature, uh, in, in in our Congress, people in our judiciary, people who work in the executive branch are all compromised. And I'm saying to myself, you know, this is really really bad mm-hmm. because. The Wall Street Journal is a paper owned by Rupert Murdoch. Right. It's a Republican business establishment paper. And they are coming forth with the revelation that basically the whole government is corrupt. And, and they're, they're taking the place 
of the investigatory bodies that we're supposed to have in place to find these things out. And that's what I've been always harping on. Yeah. You know, when, when you were in the class and we would, you would discuss these things, right. it's not the business, it's not the business of good papers that they be, whether it's the Times, or the Washington Post, or the Wall Street Journal, to keep coming up with this information. It's the job of our inspector generals and these people and our law enforcement people to be doing it. And they're not doing it, or right. they don't care to do it, or they don't right. want to do it, however you want to, however you want, however you want to put it. You know, and I think we we have a problem then where I think the median voter understands that there is levels of corruption. And I think if you ask the median voter, how corrupt do you believe your average politician to be? They would say very much so. But so then for the Wall Street Journal to report on things that I believe, like you said, were already generally known, um, it's not going to change the tides. Right. Uh, the uh, Democrats don't run on the fact that they're going to fix corruption. They don't yeah. run on the fact that they're going to come in and clean house and stop taking dirty money. They take the dirty money all the same. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think then you have this median voter who understands that there's these levels of corruption, is apathetic towards it, sees one party reporting on it and the other party doesn't care. So I think you're going to have these problems proliferate because they're not voter issues. Mm-hmm. They're not talked about. Uh, we all know it and we've all just come to accept it mm-hmm. because neither party runs on changing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there is every once in a while you get, oh, we'll take those corrupt politicians. And that's maybe a part of the reason why Trump won is because he was so far removed from what people believe a politician to be, more corrupt than probably the average mm-hmm. politician. But because he was removed, you can sort of remove that level of corruption people just attach to the word politician. But then you have these problems proliferate because you never have any action either way. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're, 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 we're hopefully not going to see it to its full fruition. And that's the debt ceiling thing. Right. Because right. n- now what you have basically is you have a divided Congress and you have a House of Representatives where the man who was the negotiator with Chuck Schumer to, to, to somehow solve this problem literally owes his position as Speaker of the House to be dependent on one or two votes because any now, any single member of the House of Representatives can bring a motion yep. in the body at any time to remove him. Right. So he basically has to propose an agenda that is really going to be destructive. And he's going to propose an agenda where basically many of vital, important social programs are going to be decimated or they will let the country go into default. And now basically it's going to be thrown somehow I guess in some basis on the 14th Amendment that Joe Biden is going to come up with some kind of a magic formula to allow this process to somehow continue so we don't become insolvent. They had Lawrence Tribe on the other night, and it was like, it was like really, you know, when you see like, when you see like Lawrence Tribe, right. it's embarrassing. Right. It's an embarrassment to, as an attorney to see it because. We shouldn't have to depend on this this venerable man, Lawrence Tribe, to tell us like very basic principles of law. Yeah, that the Congress, pretty much composed of almost all attorneys, <laughs> doesn't they don't anyway. they right. don't get it. They don't get it. So 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 I I don't, I don't know what the future is going to be for that, you know. But it, it it is it is interesting how. Oh, and of course, we, 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 we would be totally remiss on our last— If we didn't mention what happened Tuesday yes, afternoon. Yes, yes, we must, we, must, we must mention that, the, the verdict for E. Jean Carroll against the ex-president. 
Uh, Defamation and yes, yes, sexual, sexual, mis- sexual misconduct, se- sexual misconduct, uh, which now probably, which now probably, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a prophet now. Uh, it's probably going to be the first of many, many actual similar cases like this because uh, there are many other women who were probably in the same position. What's fascinating about it, though, except for Asa Hutchinson. Uh, the almost non-commentary by the Republican Party. What do they have to say? He's on video confusing this woman for his ex-wife. And they're saying, well, he thought she was unattractive. He would have never. Well, he confused her for his ex-wife. So, huh? I mean, what do they have to say? But but that's the whole thing. I mean, you know, there's no confrontation of anything. And so then these issues proliferate. But there's nothing nothing to be said. But uh, listen, when the uh, tape came out, however many years ago that was now, of him saying he was going to grab women by their genitalia, Mm -hmm. that wasn't enough. And they had him recorded saying he was a sexual assaulter. I mean, they had him on tape saying as much. Well, so why why would it be any different in the face of real evidence, in the face of a jury? I don't it wouldn't change their mind. Of course not. See, my, 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 my theory on that has changed a little bit. I'm ready. See, I always thought, well, they're mercenaries, basically. And whoever can get you into the castle will go with them. Even right. I really think a lot of these people identify with that yes they really believe yes. that women are there for their amusement yes. oh yeah and and, oh, yeah. and that that that's the purpose of a woman and with the rise to, of donald trump with yeah. the rise of people like elon musk yeah. with the rise of sort of andrew tate in these yeah, youtube like yeah, yeah, sure. ideological cultures sure so you know it's it's okay because that's the woman's role yeah. and and he's the he's the the the, the standard bearer and, and and i think that from there it goes into the racial issue. It goes into the uh, LGBT issue. It goes into the issue with with immigration. Right. It's all, all intersectional. It. It's all, it's all it, intersectional. All, yeah, and I, I think that. we've we've talked about it ad nauseum yeah, on this show. Yeah. But as as it is our final show, I think it's a good wrap up yeah. is to say that so much of this comes from I believe people and the predominant person of the the average Republican mm. will go ahead and say um, has this level of discomfort that comes with the changing of tides yeah, and a yeah, new guard yeah. and a new guard that does not look like the old guard. Yeah. And I think that's where all of this stems from um, is just this level of recognizing that your spot is no longer coveted and your spot is no longer guaranteed and that you aren't guaranteed a beautiful wife by way of getting, you know, a BA and being a white man. You weren't guaranteed some high paying Mm. job just by way of being a, getting your BA and being a white man. And I think that makes the vast majority of the Republican base white men incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. And so that's why we see these proliferation of issues. And then the people like Donald Trump, the people like Andrew Tate, the people like Elon Musk, Mm. who then espouse these ideas that women are lesser. They're the ones keeping Mm. you down. Black people are lesser. They're the ones keeping you down. Immigrants are lesser. They're the ones keeping you down. As long as they're platformed, people will keep buying into it because people Mm. are susceptible to hive mind. People are susceptible to money and power, of which these gentlemen have a lot of. And so that's what's going to happen. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And and in a parallel way, denial of voting rights uh, denial of uh, critical race theory education. Yes. It all goes together. Yes. Goes so, together. yeah, I think that's a really good way to wrap this up as we come to our last couple of minutes on this show is I want to thank everything I've talked about on this show and every uh, the way I'm able to articulate myself and talk about these issues in a real and meaningful way and I think in a way that understands not only my position but others' position is because of the New College of Florida, is because of the liberal arts mm-hmm. education I received there, mm-hmm. um, is because I was taught critical race theory at an, educa- at an mm-hmm. education 
educational institution that believed that that was proper and right to teach. Mm. Um, the fact that Ron DeSantis is taking that away and is trying to, and he has effectively shut down that school for everything it's worth, mm. um, will no longer allow children like me to be able to speak on programs like this and mm. do so effectively. Um, so if I take away anything or want to leave my legacy at all, it's that I support the new college of Florida. I support liberal arts education. Mm. I support the teachings of critical race theory. And I think they will all make us um, better, more informed citizens able to handle the complicated and complex issues that arise in our institutions. Mm -hmm. um, with that, I want to also thank the professor for having me on and allowing me to do this and share my ideas for now almost two years. Um, I've been very, very lucky and very, very grateful. I'm going to let the professor give some closing comments. Sure. Well, uh, um, likewise to all of that, I, I think that uh, um, we uh, devised this show to try to, to try to point out certain things in the society um, that had gone off the tracks. Uh, certainly what you've, you've alluded to regarding your education, um, I think is, 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 is great in one sense that you're the product of that education and you've graced this program and partnered with me in a, in a, in a very good way to, to give information to a lot of people. But it's also, it's also sad because our society, in many ways, is afraid of new ideas. They're afraid of science. They're afraid of truth. And they want to go in a hole and dig themselves a hole like an ostrich instead of facing what we need to face, that we've never had faced through the gamut of our history. And now perhaps the bill is coming due yep. for all our ignorance and our, all, all our inattention and all our indifference. And we, we, we do the show basically because... We want to wake people up. Um, but I will say it's been my pleasure to, to have you as my partner here. Awesome. And, uh, you know, um, you, you, we, will, we will try to find someone somewhere someone, to out, replace someone out there to replace you. But I think the chances of finding a replica of yourself are very minimal. But it's been a great pleasure for me as well. Well, and with that, uh, it's been an honor, and we hope that this show opened your eyes even a little bit and allowed you to continue social justice and having a conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Good night. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at Wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1, at nevada.unlv.edu, or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's Charles.Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N, at unlv.edu. See you next time.